Good morning, church. When Harley asked me a few weeks ago if I could preach today, I thought to myself, this is a golden opportunity to talk to you about one of the weirdest phenomenons that occurs in our world today. Because today, of course, is New Year's Eve, the last day you get to indulge on your bad habits before you start your New Year's resolutions. Now, I will admit I have not uh, made a New Year's resolution this year, but I have in the past. And the main reason I haven't made one this year is because what happens when you make one every year? You break it. After about a month, you're not doing it anymore. And yet, every year, you see so many people say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this year. I'm going I'm to have a, uh, I'm going to make a New Year's resolutions, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to last. But it never lasts forever. Now, wanting to better yourself is not actually a bad thing. In fact, it's actually a very good thing in some circumstances. Maybe you feel like you have some unhealthy eating habits and you want to eat healthier so you can feel better. Well, that's a good thing. Maybe you have some bad habits in your life and you want to try to get rid of those bad habits. That's a good thing. The problem is to eradicate these bad habits or bad tendencies usually means going against who we are in our very nature. Yet every year, you know someone who says something to the equivalent of, this year will be different, I'm going to stick to my New Year's resolution. According to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, nearly 50% of the population makes a New Year's resolution every year. So look to the person next to you, and statistically, one of you is making, has a New Year's resolution that they're going to start tomorrow morning. You will try and do well for a few weeks. Maybe you're really determined this year, and you make it for a couple of months. But slowly, old habits start to creep back in. So why does this happen? Well, there's a couple reasons, actually. Uh, The first is whenever we want to change some habits in our lives, we tend to have unrealistic expectations. We may think to ourselves, I'm going to go to the gym every day, or I'm going to go to the Bible, or I'm going to read my Bible every day, or insert, honestly, any good habit here. And when we miss a day, we can beat ourselves up over it. But even when we take a step back and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to the gym more regularly, or I'm just going to read my Bible more regularly, uh, there may be a crazy week or two where we can't get to the gym, or we don't read our Bible, or whatever good thing we're trying to implement in our lives, and we think to ourselves, can't keep this up. So we just quit. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on. And what's worse is we actually look at people who seem to have better habits in their lives, and we start comparing ourselves with them. And, we, and, we can, and they can, this can really wreak havoc on our self-esteem. We start to believe that if I was just like that person, then people would like me better. If, if I could be like them, then my life would be better. And unfortunately, this mindset uh, can creep into our spiritual walk. Man, if only I was as humble and person as that person, I would be a better Christian. Only I spent more time reading my Bible and praying to God, I wouldn't keep falling into the same sin over and over again. If only I did more things for God, maybe he would like me more. So then we strive to do more and more of the things we've been told to do. And on the surface, this isn't a bad thing. It's a very good thing to read your Bible to spend time in prayer, and to do all the things that help us learn more and grow closer to God. But it's very easy to start to believe that you have to do these things or you won't get into heaven. 
So what we do is completely take the gospel off the table and we revert back to law. In essence, we take the free gift of salvation that God offers and tell God, I, I, I don't want that. I want to try and earn this by myself. This is dangerous because this does not lead to spiritual transformation and a closer relationship with God. This leads to burnout. And I truly believe it's one of the main reasons people leave the church. Because we've taken the gospel that liberates and accidentally turned it into a burden that people must follow or they're not really a Christian. We've taken grace and we've replaced it with law. Now, the good news is we aren't the first people to do this. In fact, Paul spends his entire letter to the Galatians talking about this. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, open up to the book of Galatians. There's a lot going on in this book, uh, but Paul answers two very important questions while writing it. One, what is the gospel of Christ? And two, how are we transformed by the gospel of Christ? Uh, so if, you, if you'll bear with me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us through some essential Pauline theology. And I apologize in advance because I, I tend to really nerd out on this stuff. So just bear with me, if you will. But also be aware that this might step on your beliefs a little as it did when I really started studying the book of Galatians. What Paul talks about is somewhat abstract to us, because honestly, some of what he talks about we don't discuss in the churches of Christ, at least not a lot. So let's dive in this book, and you'll see what I'm talking about. A quick background on these churches in the region of Galatia. Paul helped establish them on his first missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So Paul had a close, personal relationship with these people. They were probably some of the first people he helped become Christ followers after he himself became a Christ follower. So Paul has close personal ties with these churches, but something strange was going on. And from the very beginning of this letter, Paul is shocked by what is happening. Paul taught the Galatians that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's no hoops to jump through. No fine print. But some Jews had come in and started preaching a false gospel. They were essentially saying, yes, Jesus is great, but you also need to make sure you're following the law of Moses strictly or you won't be saved. And they were really harping on circumcision. So the Galatians started trying to keep the law of Moses strictly so they could earn favor with God so that they would be saved. And Paul is just thinking to himself, what is going on? And what's worse is Peter... That Peter and Barnabas have fallen into this trap as well. And I'll give Paul credit because he has the gumption to call Peter out on this. And Paul recounts this in chapter 2 of Galatians when he tells Peter, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law, and I already tore, uh, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. 
so that I might live for God. My, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if I keep the law, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul tells Peter that uh, we are Jews. We are not like the Gentiles. We are God's chosen people. But then he says that doesn't matter. Because being made right before God is not determined by your heritage or how many of the laws of Moses you keep. Being made right before God happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. The only thing that we can do to gain God's love and acceptance is to believe in Jesus Christ. No more. And Paul even says that he tried to keep the law, but all it did was condemn him. If you try to keep the law, it only shows you how much of the law that you can't keep. Let me say that another way. If you try to gain God's favor by working for it, you'll eventually realize you're too screwed up to be righteous before God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It is not because of what I do that will determine my righteousness before God. It's because of what he did by sending his son to die on the cross. So the burden has been taken off of me and been placed on Christ. The gospel is liberating because it shows us there is nothing we can do but believe in Christ. But so often I see in my own life that I put that burden back on myself. I start thinking, here are the things I have to do to make God happy. So in essence, I I start living by the law again because I give myself a list of things I need to do in order to be right before God. And these are typically really, really good things. They could include reading my Bible, prayer and meditation, even going to church. Okay, I have to stop for a second because I know what you might be thinking. Is Robbie really telling us that we don't have to do those things? Because if you're like me, you were raised, usually unintentionally, with people telling you, here's a list of things you need to do in order to be a good little Christian. Here's a list of things you need to do to make sure you don't go to hell. And Paul would say this is bogus. Because when you start making a list of things you need to do in order to make sure you're right before God, you start trying to earn your salvation. In fact, he does say this is bogus. In Galatians 5, he says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. What Paul is saying is that God gave us this free gift of love, favor, and righteousness. And the Galatians were telling God, I don't want your free gift. I want to try and earn this on my own. So the question becomes, do we have to do these things, such as reading our Bible and going to church, or do we not have to do these things? Well, yes, but it all depends on our mindset and our understanding of the gospel. Here's how Tim Keller puts it. It's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. We see it as a set of basic ABC doctrines that are on the, that are on the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. 
we often assume that once you're converted, we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel. We need more advanced material. But in this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not only the way we enter the kingdom, it is the way we live as part of the kingdom. It is the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. The gospel of Christ is not just something that happens and then we forget about it. The gospel is active and working in us to transform us to be more like Christ. So then the question becomes, if I don't have to do any work to earn God's love, favor, and righteousness, then how am I transformed? If it's not based off of me doing things, how do I become more Christ-like? Well, that's a good question. And luckily, uh, Paul answers it for us. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Okay, let's unpack this verse. Uh, First, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not something we talk a lot about in the churches of Christ. We talk about God. We'll talk about Jesus, and then we kind of just mention the Holy Spirit in passing because we aren't quite confident in its role in all of this. Now, I don't have—I I definitely don't have enough time to go in uh, to dive into who the Spirit thoroughly is. So, what I'm going to do is give you a quick summary about the Spirit, and then give you some resources if you want to do some extra learning by yourself. The Holy Spirit is God. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is God who lives in us and works through us to transform us to be more Christ-like. Now, that is a very, very partial view of who the Spirit is. And that's like saying, my name is Robbie, and I'm a youth minister. You get the idea of who I am, but you don't really know who I am by me just making that brief statement. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Spirit, but I also wanted to give you a few resources in case you want to do some more study on your own. Um, The first one is another shameless plug for Arise 2018. Uh, On Friday, February 10th, Friday, no, that's supposed to be Saturday, Saturday, February 10th at 2 p.m., who is the Holy Spirit? This is going to be the first session that Patrick Mead does for us. Um, Patrick Mead is a preacher in Tennessee. He's hilarious, and he's got a Scottish accent, so um, it's just great to listen to him. But he's going to unpack who this is and then talk about spiritual warfare um, a little more throughout the weekend. And I wasn't going to say this because I don't want to make anyone feel guilty, but last year when we had Rob Reno come in and and he preached on Sunday, you guys probably remember that Sunday because the power went out and then it miraculously came back on. I had so many people come up to me and say, I wish I would have came Saturday because Rob was a great speaker, and Rob did a great job, and he taught us a lot of things. Don't let that be you this year. Don't come on Sunday and go, man, I wish I would have came Saturday to listen to Patrick. Uh, Registration is going to open this week on our website. It'll be whchurch.com slash arise. So please make a plan. Save the date. Saturday, not Friday. I guess I just wanted the alliteration on there uh, for that. So the next one is a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. Uh, Francis Chan does a great job of explaining who the Holy Spirit is in a very tangible way. I read this book in college, and it it really opened my eyes to some things I was missing out on my spiritual walk. And the second uh, thing I want to talk to you about is a podcast that I've been listening to lately called Exploring My Strange Bible. Uh, This podcast is hosted by Tim Mackey. Uh, He's the guy that started the Bible Project, which are the videos on YouTube. We use them in class a lot. You've probably seen them 
uh, floating around on Facebook if you have Facebook. Cast can be found at this website. I know it's really tiny. So honestly, if you just Google Exploring My Strange Bible, it's the first one that comes up. It's also on iTunes Podcast if you want to, um, if you want to look it up there. Uh, one of the series that Tim Mackey does is called I Am Who I Am. It's a 10-part series where he dives into the very nature of God. Uh, the first three sessions are about Yahweh God, and the last seven sessions are about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I listen to this podcast a lot, and it's, it's honestly been very challenging for me, uh, but it's also been very encouraging for me as well. Uh, so there are three different types of resources that you can go and learn more about the Holy Spirit. So let's get back to Galatians. As believers, we have the Spirit of God living in us to guide us and to help transform us. But Paul also mentions another force that dwells within us that is the opposite of the Spirit. This is the sinful nature. Uh, Some of your translations might have the flesh. This is the force in every human that tells us we should do the things that we want to do. Paul goes on to explain this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intention. Paul says these two forces are constantly butting heads. They're constantly fighting each other. Uh, The spirit living within you is prompting you to do the good things for God, but the sinful nature says, no, 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 no. Uh, You don't want to do those things for God. And you've probably experienced this without actually thinking about it this way. Have you ever gotten incredibly upset over something minor and thought to yourself afterwards, why did I get so upset? Maybe you blew up on your kids because you're already having a bad day and they just pushed you over the edge. You think to yourself, I want to handle this better. I I know I can handle this better. But unfortunately, it happened. The Spirit is telling you that you can handle this better, but your sinful nature is telling you it's just easier to blow up on them. And this can lead to us feeling down about ourselves. And it can lead us to believe that God isn't very happy with the way we just handled that. But Paul reminds us in verse 18 of what he's already told us. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. This just echoes back to what Paul has already said. When we believe in Christ, we have God's love and favor, and we are righteous before him. We are not under the law anymore. Therefore, we should not be making a list of the good things and the bad things we do. We should allow our lives to be directed by the Spirit instead of the sinful nature. So what does that look like? Well, Paul breaks down what living by each of these forces looks like. He starts with the sinful nature. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, let's stop and clarify what Paul is not saying. 
He is not saying that if we fall into temptation and do one of these things, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is if we're making a habit of these things and declare that they are okay to do, then we're going against what God and his spirit desires for us. As a believer, we would not be living by the spirit, but living by our own selfish, sinful nature. So if I have an outburst of anger, for instance, that is, that is a result of me falling into temptation. It's an anomaly. It's not the norm. Paul then goes on to talk about what it means to live by the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of trust or fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You probably kind of sang the song in your head as, as I was going through there. I almost sang it myself. So a couple of things to unpack here. Uh, Paul tells us that the Spirit produces this in us. It's not what we do. It is what we allow the Spirit to do in us. So I don't gain more love and patience for people by trying to be more loving and trying to be more patient. Because inevitably, I meet someone who gets on my nerves, and because I'm trying to be the one that produces love and patience in myself, my sinful nature tells me this person is stupid. Don't love and be patient with them. And that sounds ridiculous, but we've all probably experienced that with somebody. But when we allow our spirit to cultivate this fruit in us, we can't help but become more Christ-like and start to view people as Christ did. Next, notice that Paul uses the analogy of fruit. So let's think about fruit for a second. Uh, Let's say an apple. If I take a seed from an apple and plant it in my backyard, I, I cannot expect to go out the next day and get a fresh apple off the apple tree. Cultivating fruit can take a long time, and that's what Paul is telling us. It takes time for the Spirit to cultivate its fruit um, in a, within us. Not because the Spirit is limited, but because we can limit the Spirit's ability to transform us. Spiritual transformation means not allowing our sinful nature to control us, but allowing the Spirit to cultivate its fruit in our lives. But let me give you a warning. Spiritual transformation does not happen by trying as hard as we can to be better Christians. That only leads to us living by the law as Paul has been preaching against this entire letter. Spiritual transformation happens when we willingly give ourselves up to God and tell him, I know I can't do this on my own. Please have your spirit guide me to become more like your son. Please have your spirit cultivate fruit within me so I can come more Christ-like. Now, this may be a radical thing to some because, again, it takes the burden off of us to become more like Christ, and it puts it on the spirit to transform us from the inside out. And unfortunately, some people will live with this burden of the law possibly all of their life because our arrogance and our pride can get in the way. I want to show everyone how good of a Christian I can be. I want to show everyone how dedicated to Christ I am. And we can miss the entire point of the gospel. The gospel is about surrendering ourselves to God and telling him, I know I can never do enough to earn your love and favor, but I accept that you give it to me anyway to be righteous before you. This prayer that I mentioned a moment ago, 
I know I can't do this on my own. Please have your spirit guide me to become more like your son. Please have your spirit cultivate fruit within me so I can become more Christ-like. Um, I, I challenge you to start saying that on a daily basis. Or when you start believing that you're not being a very good Christian, say this prayer and remember that it's not about what you do. It's about what God is doing in you. And I encourage you to start following the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, as Paul tells us in Galatians 5.25. Remember, we truly start to let the Spirit guide us. The Spirit begins to develop its passions and its desires for us, within us. Uh, These could be a desire to read your Bible more, uh, a passion for praying for everyone we encounter, or even as simple a desire to go to church, not because we have to, because we truly want to. Remember that if you are a follower of Christ, you have God's love, you have his favor, and that will not change. If you haven't made the decision to become a follower of Christ, you have the opportunity right now. You can believe, repent, come and be baptized so you can have the Holy Spirit begin to transform you just like Christ. If you're struggling with this concept in any way, I understand because I struggle with it a lot too. If you would like us to pray for you about that or anything else, um, we're going to not necessarily sing a song. We'll be singing, um, but David wanted me to go ahead and tell you, so I'm kind of interrupting but my invitation. But uh, we want you to come down during this song that we're actually going to play uh, an acapella version for you. It's just as I am. It's a different version, so we wanted to teach it to you guys, uh, but it, it goes really well. Um, come just as you are, just as I am, as we listen and sing this